Take a look at this. It's our proper proportion giant atom model of science. Now, this part isn't very giant. That's because it's just the nucleus, the middle of an atom. Now, in here are two kinds of particles, protons and neutrons. No one knows what they would really look like. The protons have a positive electrical charge, like a spark. And the neutrons have no charge. They're neutral. They just hang out in the nucleus. Now, buzzing around the outside of the nucleus are very small particles called electrons. Maybe you've heard of them. In fact, the flow of electrons from one atom to another is called electricity. If this vibrating buzzing ball is the nucleus of an atom, how far away do you think the electron would be? Well, as far as you could jump? No. As far as you could throw a ball? Uh-uh. As far as you could run? Well, yeah. Take a look. You can see it from here. It's way out there. The electron would be here. 500 meters, five soccer fields from the nucleus. So everything that's made of atoms, everything that you can touch and feel is mostly empty space. Empty space. Empty space. Empty space! Now the electron weighs, oh, a 10,000th of those particles in the middle. And it's going around so fast that it's only here now and then. It's here, and then here, and then, and then I gotta go. Abs in a six pack. Abs in a six pack, episode sixty one, with one half of Rare Encounter, Mister Abel Kirby. What's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going? This one's a long time coming, huh? Yeah, yeah, it has been. Uh, about... We've been we've been talking about doing it for a while, and we're finally doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's happening. Uh, finally, finally. <laughs> that yeah, you know, I got I got ready. Uh, I went and I bought a pack of cigarettes. Um, I had lunch at Hardee's. Um, I don't quite have, you know, the six-pack six, six in front of me, but uh, I feel like uh, I could go for one right now, honestly. This is Sunday afternoon. Did you actually have lunch at Hardee's? I did. <laughs> I don't know why. I, was, I went out for motor oil, and, you know, I got confused. I, I got the oil at the wrong place. They're not called Carl's Jr. where you're at? <laughs> uh, they're called Car- Carl's Jr. in Colorado, but Hardee's is uh, what they call it in Maryland. Okay, well, that leads me to the one clip I actually brought to the show about molecules. <laughs> Welcome to Carl's Jr. Would you like to try our extra big ass taco? Now with more molecules. <laughs> now with more <laughs> molecules. <laughs> well, this is synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that Jr. opening clip of Bill Nye, who I just despise, um, literally made me angry watching it. <laughs> well, I was listening to it. I I think I saw that when it was on TV when it aired. Um, used to watch the show a lot. I actually met Bill Nye once. Um, See a the, dick in uh, real life? No, he was pretty nice. Okay, um, well, that's good. He was filming a, a special at the uh, Boston Museum of Science, and I was there with uh, some friends and my family and everything. We were um, hanging around, and so they they were shooting you know clips of him narrating as he's going down an escalator and then he'd go up to take the escalator up and they do take two and he'd go down the escalator and he'd go up take two and 
And, uh, you know, they're just filming. It's it's film production, you know. He wasn't a dick yeah. about it or anything. He actually uh, let us take a picture with him. So somewhere, squirreled away, I think my mom has it. It's a picture with me and, and uh, some friends and, and my uh, my brother and sisters. are all standing with Bill Nye. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, and, I, don't, uh, I don't know what it I don't know what it was about that video just it, it's it was just irritating because of all the um just wa- it was just wacky he like it, I forgot how wacky he made his show it's a it's an infantile presentation and it, yeah. it and it's that way on purpose it's for kids um listening to it I was kind of going over all the he said some facts in there I said oh yeah they all seem right you know he got uh the approximate mass of electrons sounds about right it's you know a little bit of hand waving about uh, exactly what's going on, but th- that's what you expect from a TV show. And there was a lot of literal hand waving in that video. Yeah, I remember his show. I used to watch that. It was uh, that when and, he uh, would jump magic- up in the air and have the like boing sound effect and all that. It's like oh yeah, it, yeah. it was it was fun. I mean, I still think that presentation is better than um, some of the presentations you get now for. Uh, you know, science education, especially if you train your uh, train all your little scientists, that is, uh, teach your kids through YouTube, which I, I fear that, that a lot of people are doing. Um, I was trying to put together material for the show, and I told you, uh, uh, we were talking in the middle of last week, what we wanted to do and everything, and I had a hell of a time clipping anything. This The, the presentation that I wa- wanted to bring to the show changed... Must have changed four times since we first talked about it. Oh, really? Um, main, mainly because I thought I was going to come on and I said, oh, you know, it'd be cool is if I give a little lecture on, you know, some of the history of uh, subatomic research. You know, and I'm talking about like the 1920s. They're all well-known stories. You know, it's uh, um, and any any science textbook, you, you can get the gist of it. But uh, as a hobby, I've been going back it, kind of as a hobby, kind of for, for my real life work. I've been going back and reading some of this and and looking at, you know, the original paper, and you can read the original discovery of the electron uh, by J.J. Uh, Thompson. And it's very readable, you know? And so I thought, oh, this would be great. You know, I, I just need to uh, put together some clips, and it, it's actually really exciting the way he describes everything, at, at least to someone like me. Uh, but you can't find it. There's no way to get a clip of it. Uh, and so I'm looking through, like, LibriVox. LibriVox is that, uh, the free uh, audiobook book uh, thing have you ever heard of them Mm, i don't think so no what they do is they do um it's either crowdsourced or volunteer um narration of usually public domain books and so you can read you can get all the classics on it for free you know there's no reason to pay audible if you want to read crime and punishment you know librivox has all of those books narrated by people who are actually decent uh you know, using the uh, original translations, you know, which are all uh, out of copyright because they were back in like the 1800s when they actually got translated to English the first time, you know. Anyway, they I couldn't find anything. There's it's absolute garbage. There's nothing you can clip <laughs> for that. So you have to scrap the whole uh, the whole presentation. Um, and instead, I, I brought some of the clips that I that uh, were really discouraging. So you played your wacky Bill Nye stuff and. You know, when when you look for science on YouTube um, or science topics, education, you know, things like that, you end up coming up with crap that sounds – I'm going to play a couple of clips here uh, to illustrate my point. You get crap that sounds kind of like this. Gravity is all about. I pulled it full speed to the ground. Of course. 
towards you and I can't see. Me towards you and you towards me. Angels from flying into space. Why fall on a chip on my shoelace? That cool force is gravity. Isaac Newton's apple tree. And that's what's replaced Bill Nye these days, I think. And, and if you have a, a choice, I'd still prefer Bill yeah, Nye. Yeah, you got to go with Bill myself, Nye over that. Yeah. <laughs> and Bill Nye, back I'm in assuming the 90s, that was all even... animated cartoon. Oh yeah, well they had the live the live ones too. I mean, I got there's there's a here, let me get through all the bad music ones while I'm on here. This was um, ah crap. No, I didn't clip them all. All the ones that I wanted. Anyway. It's just bad information or bad presentations, you know, or it's really surface level. And so, for example, they had um, History Pod. There's a podcast called History Pod. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was neon uh, neon lights. Because I thought it would be something to talk about. And so I, I said, oh, I should get some clips of people talking about neon lights. This is literally, uh, now it's, it is a history podcast. Uh, it's the closest thing I could find when I was looking for the history of neon lights, but... Here's, uh, here's what it sounds like. Hello and welcome to History Pod. On the 3rd of December 1910, the first neon light went on show at the Paris Motor Show. Invented by Frenchman Georges Claude, the first neon lights were simply 35 metre long tubes that glowed red. Right, and so if you haven't fallen asleep from his narration, you might have noticed that his description of the... Here's how a neon light works. It's a long tube that glows red. I also don't like the, how people from that side of the pond pronounce tube. It's like with a C-H. Tube. 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 <laughs> C-H-O-O-B. Yeah. But it's all... That's all I could get. It was just cursory level crap. Uh, you know, it doesn't... No one cares, you know? It's not in any yeah. of the the stuff that you can find. There's no details on how it actually works. Um, you know, the, the details they do care about are... I, I got a second part of that clip. He talks about the important parts about neon lights. Claude's neon lighting at the Paris Motor Show was used originally simply to light the front of the large exhibition space at the Grand Palais. Frustrated that the red glow of the light meant that his invention couldn't be used to replace conventional home lighting, Claude was persuaded by his friend and associate, Jacques Fonsec, to use it for advertising. For advertising? I just... It, it, okay. That guy, uh... That guy sounds like he's reading an old-timey children's book. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I did a little bit of research and typing stuff into search engines, and I, I realized this would be... Um, this is the experience of someone who wants to find out about how the world around them works right now. In the information age, all the information should be accessible by everyone. But what you get is just crap. There's there's no great source, uh, aside from Wikipedia. Wikipedia has its own problems, especially even in the scientific articles, which are usually pretty good, um, where yeah. they go into either way too much detail or there's no – they don't distill it down to a level where a – you know, normal person could understand it. And so there's there's like a gap where you you're, it's either an infantile presentation, you know, like the dancing uh, cartoons singing about gravity or they just avoid the topic altogether or the, the only other uh, access that, you know, shows up in the first couple of results if you search for it is 
the uh, the master's level, the graduate student level description of what is going on with the photons inside, you know, uh, a generic tube. You know, it's way beyond what anyone's going to understand. And, and uh, it's just really depressing, actually. It's like science literacy is must be at an all time low if this is what we're learning. <laughs> I had a, a similar thing looking for um, in certain episodes research doing for this show, like looking up history, like historic um like recountings of things as far as mm-hmm. finding good audio there's certain things that you would think would be um talked about in audio form that would be easy to find but really the best source for some things has been drunk history for pulling audio sadly <laughs> yeah because yeah. like there's certain stories that they're the only ones that have told it you know mm-hmm. pretty sad yeah. um so i mean the uh Let's see. I think even CBS, just to get off the neon uh, neon sign thing, I had one more clip, which was the, C- the CBS report on it. So we had a little CBS special. And this is something that was kind of new. I was just impressed at how poor this uh, this was, um, just Real in quick, terms of the audio. Before we go oh, past go the neon lights, uh, can you explain to me, a dumb person, if there's if those are like the northern lights, basically? Is that what that is? What are the neon um, lights? No, uh, the, and the reason they're not is because the percentage of neon gas in the atmosphere is actually pretty small. Um, the The way that a neon light works is, well, I mean, structurally, it is a glass tube that has neon gas inside it, believe it or not, and it has electrodes on the end. And uh, there's an effect that happens when you put enough voltage on the across the electrodes is that it starts to glow. Um, it, it, as a as there's a current flowing through the gas, uh, so it's like a science experiment. Yeah, it actually started as a science experiment. They had back in, it all started ten thousand years ago. No, I'm not going <laughs> to go that far back. Um, they invented a, I think in the 1800s they got some pretty good vacuum uh, pump technology. They figured out how to make um, vacuums of uh, you know substantial quality. You know, more than you can make with just a, a simple sort of. Uh, you know, like if you uh, took a plunger and pulled it out of a, a syringe, like a tube or something like that. You know, you can make a little bit of a vacuum like that. But they had a vacuum pump where you could actually evacuate a lot of the, the gas uh, out of things. And that was the first thing that that really got them going. The other thing was refrigeration. And the reason it, those two were both important is because as soon as they started, as soon as they figured out that we could refrigerate things and make vacuums, they started like, we're going to put stuff in a vacuum and put electricity on it. <laughs> And see what happens. Science, you know, it, it, and they just started doing that. And so um, and they started cooling things down to see what would happen. And, and so let's see, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to plot through this. Um, you know, the, the first thing is they discovered neon gas, uh, which was part of it's part of the air around us. There's there's a small fraction of the air that's neon all the time. Um, and because they could cool the air down, they actually could get it cold enough in the 1800s to turn it into a liquid, um, just the regular atmosphere around us. And what they ended up doing was fractional distillation um, to, to determine what was in the air. So, you know, just like with a still, uh, if you're making moonshine, what you end up doing is you heat up the, uh, what do you call it, the mash? You have, you have the... Uh, fluid that has a lot of water and it also has the alcohol and you want to get the alcohol out that's what you do is you heat it up just to the boiling point of the alcohol so that evaporates out and then it can condense and drip down Um, but it leaves 
the everything that boils at a lower temperature behind it. That's exactly the same thing they did in the 1800s. Is they they started categorizing the gases they could pull out of uh, liquid air. So they said, well, we cool it down until it's liquid, and then we'll heat it up a little until some of it starts boiling, and we'll let it all boil off and and catch it in you know a jar or something. We'll catch it in in another in a vessel, and then. We find at some other temperature, the next higher up temperature, we can pull out another kind of gas and another kind of... And they found out, oh, well, you know, 78% of the the liquid air boils off at the first temperature, and we call that nitrogen. And then at the next next step up, we start getting oxygen, and we get 20 or something percent of that in argon. And, and all the other um, trace gases were discovered around that time by people just making more and more careful... Uh, uh, you know, careful experiments of, of ex- being able to dial into, oh, well, it's, there's actually a small amount of methane between the helium and krypton inside the inside liquid air, you know? And I thought anyway, krypton neon- was, the, uh, was just from Superman. <laughs> no. Uh, it's an element. It was an element that's discovered. It's in the air. Um, I put it in my notes because I, I have some PPM values for some of the chemicals in the air for a topic I... I didn't even think I was going to come into today, but it's like one part per million. Uh, it's not a lot, but it's there. It, anyway, so what they would do is they get these vessels with these different gases and say, okay, well, let's put some electrodes on it and make them glow. And the thing about neon was that uh, it just so happens the uh, the spectral lines for neon are pretty bright in the red region. It's got almost like a coincidence, you know. Um, it, so it emits visible light. Now, all of the other ones will emit light, you know, but it might not be visible. Um, so neon turned out to be good enough for a, uh, to make a little lamp they could do a demonstration with. I think uh, I have a CBS report just to break up my monotony here of uh, them talking about neon signs. December 11th, 1910, 101 years ago today. Today, visitors to a Paris exposition saw a new sort of lamp from the laboratory of chemist Georges Claude. He had perfected the art of creating light from electrified neon gas in a tube. Before long, neon was being used in signs, first in Europe, then in the United States, where a Los Angeles Packard motor car dealer installed America's first neon sign in 1923. From gas stations to restaurants, to neighborhood theaters. Many another small business was quick to embrace the neon sign as its own way of standing out from the crowd. The, so a neon I, tube is just what you use to make a neon sign. I was way over thinking what, when you said neon oh, lights. Yeah. I was like, neon yeah. lights? Like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really no, realize it was like, like a, a bar would have. Yeah, the, what this uh, guy, George Claude, actually did, the Frenchman. Um, they, CBS also sort of, I don't know, I think they mischaracterize it because the thing that he really did was he found a way to efficiently get the neon out of the air in a way that made it um, uh, he could do it cheap enough that he could actually sell it and make a profit because all the other parts of a neon sign already existed. All the buildings already had electricity inside them. We already knew, um, you know, the science of turning having light bulbs, you know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing really new with that. Um, the glass blowing has been around since who who knows how long. So they've been making glass tubes since a very long time ago. Um, and and so all he really did was put everything together. And uh, the the story of his company he ended up putting together this company that started selling neon signs to everyone. And so he made a I think it was him and some of his friends and associates and everything. I think they raised the equivalent of 
like thirty thousand dollars to uh, to start a company. It was yeah in. And they said, well, the company, the purpose of this company is just to extract neon from the air and put it in tubes and sell them to people. And that was it. And the, that's the start of an industry. <laughs> and of course, you know, neon signs come in other colors, uh, too. But the true true neon is uh, is only that red color. Um, there's other gas mixtures that turns out you can mix other gases in to change the colors. But and you probably uh, just neon change the color of the glass, too, I would imagine. No, the glass is clear, actually. The color really. comes from the the color actually comes from the gas. Oh, yeah, yeah. I so, do have a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, no. Just. I was gonna say I do have a clip on uh, on tubes. Tubes. You'd end up with a, a, a very long tube, um, probably extending uh, <laughs> twice the size of the universe. Because when you collapse the universe, it expands, and it would be. Uh, you wouldn't want to put it into a tube. I love that. It's a Tim, uh, Tim and Eric, right? Yeah. If you put the universe into a tube, it would double the length of a typical tube. I love it because he's he. They do it such a in a, such a deadpan way, yeah. and they have they have the jargon right. It sounds just like someone trying to explain the you know a science concept to a to a TV audience. Uh, uh, yep. So these guys. Um, Privately funded, you know, they came together. They just we're going to make a company. I don't think that's the way all of all of that used to work in the old days. Most of the time, they would have peer research would be done um, by universities. Um, sometimes it was individuals, but it, it was like universities and especially um, people who had, um, you know, they were sponsored by their government, whether it was the king or if it was, um, you know, the United States government or uh, the French government. You know. They spent money on keeping these labs working and having people inside just trying to think up new ideas and do sort of meaningless things like trying to figure out what exactly electricity is, you know. Uh, And this is still like 20 years before they smashed an atom? Oh, it's a little more than that. Um, I think the... We're talking about neon. I think that was 19... Yeah, it was about 30 years. It was about 30 years before. Um, there's a guy who I did like, uh, he had a very short presentation on, uh, on YouTube. His name was Steven Weinberg and he's a Nobel laureate. Um, but he has a, he had some commentary. I was trying to get a clip of Kurt Vonnegut cause he, I know he has the same sentiment, but I, I found Steven Weinberg talking about the funding of, um, pure science and, and the, he describes it in, uh, it's two clips. Actually, the first one is he's going to talk about JJ Thompson, um, and, and uh, who invented the uh, he didn't invent the electron. He discovered uh, that electrons had mass and that they were there were massive particles, you know, not mystical rays from the ether or whatever else that people thought at the time. Um, and so this is uh, Steven Weinberg talking briefly about about this. Discoveries in fundamental science change the way we live, but it doesn't happen immediately. And to take an example, a little before the end of the 19th century, J.J. Thompson in Cambridge was making fundamental studies of the way electricity flows. And in the course of these studies, he discovered what was the first discovered elementary particle, the electron. And a huge electronics industry could not exist without the knowledge of the existence of this particle, which carries electric currents in all ordinary electric circuits. If J.J. Thomson in 1897 had been directed to work on practical 
problems, problems of immediate technological importance, he would have developed a better steam boiler, but he would not have discovered the electron. I think that is an interesting premise, and I, I think I agree with it, too. Um, I mean, we, do you have anything you, that, that you're going to bring to bring up on the show, or, or you want me to just run through my whole stuff from beginning to end? Uh, I'm sure I'll have commentary, but this is a lot of this is above my pay grade. Um, yeah, I know. The, I, I picked a kind of a weird topic for the show. It, like I said, no, it like, kept changing it. It seems like um, that's what he just, what was that guy's name? I was just talking the Nobel it was, it was Steve, Steve, Steve Weinberg. Okay. Yeah. It seems like that's the case for a lot of things. Like technology is built out of necessity and innovation is built out of necessity. A lot of times, whether it's like, war times or whatever but yeah a lot of times if you're just building for necessity like you said you're not gonna you're not gonna come up with anything new discoveries or anything necessarily innovative just to do things that you need to do yeah um, like just goofing to, off to, in science is sometimes what produces like the best discoveries yeah and i know this isn't uh, particularly new material for anyone but i just want to cover it it's a popular sentiment a lot of people know this already they uh, they already subscribed to this way of thinking, but I'm going to I'm going to play this last one just to put the uh, drive the point home. Another important and this is less rarely recognized spinoff from high energy physics is that it has a tremendous intellectual attraction. And I see this with students coming into my university. Many of them are motivated to go into science because of the challenge of discovering fundamental facts about the way the world is ordered. And many of them become scientists who do things of great practical importance. The society that decides that it will only support applied science and not waste money on pure science is likely to be a society that will wind up with neither. And that's a um, popular sentiment, but it it's a lot easier said than done, I think. There's... Uh a lot of there's some material I want to go into about the uh, about the way science is funded in America, which it might be a little more relevant to your uh, to this program. Uh, but the mm. not to jump too far ahead, but what do you think about CERN, and the Hadron Collider, and all that? Well, CERN is uh, well, it's a European uh, you know particle accelerator. Um, I think it's. Interesting. Um, I don't think it's going to open a black hole and destroy the Earth like some people seem to believe. That's what Stephen um, Hawking said. But uh, yeah, well, Stephen Hawking said a lot of things that didn't <laughs> um, always pan out. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. It, I watched that whole documentary, the God Particle or whatever it was called, about that. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> and they're interviewing all those scientists working at the Hedron Collider, mm -hmm. and a lot of it I couldn't make heads or tails of what they were talking about. But a lot of them seemed like it was almost like a religious thing. They were interested in about it like they were like really into like the particle that makes up all the other particles and they were like obsessed with that like the particle uh, well, it's, it's not there's there's so much bad information about high energy physics it's one of these topics that and i'm not a high energy physicist i told you before i'm a radio guy mm -hmm. um, i do microwave radio um but i have an interest in it and i follow it and i some capacity to understand what's going on with quantum physics. I've been studying it lately, too, so that helps. But 
one of the problems I always run into is that the, the quality of information is so low. You're trying to find out, um, you know, what's really going on? What's the real story? What do they wake up and do every day, you know? And you can't find it anywhere. There's, there's the PR information that you get out of these agencies like uh, or, or out of these places, you know, like the CERN uh, experiments, all the different ones they do. And HARP and the LIGO Lab. I, I particularly like the LIGO Lab. I talked about that on, on Hog Story. Uh, it was on there uh, last year. The um, It's hard to decipher, you know. it's They present it at a level that's basically just enough to uh, to convince someone they need more funding. That's exactly what I was about to say. What are the chances that they're not actually doing anything at all and it's all just PR so they get more funding and then they walk away with money in their pockets? Like, uh, are they actually pretty... doing anything? Oh, yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> they have, they've published results for it, too. But they don't show up in the press releases. You know, the right. press release wants to say, oh, we found a Higgs boson and, um, you know, or we have the 99.99% probability that it was detected using this detector. Um, and then what they do is immediately shift to the next, oh, well, we have to, uh, you know, this part of the, the, so the accelerator is this giant ring um, that goes through a couple different countries. And the, the detectors are in different parts of the ring. And they uh, they say, oh, well, we need to take, you know, this detector, uh, which is at, you know, some some place down the track. They say, we have to renovate that. So we need money for that. How do we back our way into getting funding for it? It's like, well, what would we do with the new detector? Oh, we might be able to do, uh, get a better uh, measurement of the mass of this particle. And they have to build an argument around it to get funding. Um, part of the reason that they have to do that is because that's what their sponsoring agency makes them do. Um, they have to justify their work somehow and you know applied science is you spend a lot of money to try and get something you you say oh i want to improve a steam boiler you know i want to make a more efficient water heater or something like that well you can spend money on developing improvements that are going to make your you know uh your uh, refrigerator more green or or whatever thing you want to do but with uh, pure science you might not get results at all it doesn't mean they're not doing anything, but it's possible they build a new detector and they don't find anything. Um, and that in itself is a result, but it's uh, it's hard to explain that to the investors, you know? Yeah. Now I'm looking at the um, how fast the particle accelerator at CERN moves. Two, 299.8 million meters per second, or the equivalent of... Two, if, well, 11,245 laps of the ring every second, which is the equivalent to traveling around the cir- circumference of the Earth seven and a half times in one second. Yeah, it's just about the speed of light. Uh, it's not the speed of light, but it's just about it. But see, that's um, the thing is, how can they track that if it's that fast? Oh, that's easy. You just, I, I'm, dude, I do that in the lab. <laughs> it's, um, the, what you're talking about is about, um, it travels about a foot every nanosecond and so if you want to find out where the particle you know you say did it cross some gate you know uh, say the particles traveling around the uh, the whole circumference you can say well you know at one time we detected it here and then uh, you know so many seven nanoseconds later we detected there and you just say, well i know how far apart the detectors are and so i can do some math and find out how fast it went that's um you can buy off the shelf um the equipment to do that at a, you know, I think Keysight is a supply company that makes uh, pulse timers that do sub nanosecond uh, switching. You know, it's, it's not a, 
It's something we've been able to do for a while. So I think that's what some people get caught up in is because when they talk about how fast the particle goes in the CERN accelerators, that is absolutely no relevance. Like no one cares about that if you're actually interested in high energy physics. It's like, well, you know, okay, well, it's got to move fast. uh, So we've got to accelerate it so we can have a collision. But the like typing out all the digits of it, it just doesn't mean anything to uh, to someone because you who's familiar with it, I guess. It just so reeks are, of market speak. Trying, it reeks what, of marking speak. What are they? They're trying yeah, to get they're, money. They're they're <laughs> trying to get money from people who don't don't understand what they're actually doing. Yeah, but what are they actually doing? I guess is my question. Like, what's oh, the end to- goal besides opening up a black hole and uh, letting the beast out? In the-, tr- the the end goal is they're trying to figure out. Um, they're trying to fill in all the holes in the standard model. Um, and one of the big holes in the standard model was for a long time that no one had observed a particle called the Higgs boson, uh, which they thought was going to be related to, um, I believe it was how mass is manifested in other particles and how, and therefore is related to gravity. There's always been a hole in quantum physics uh, in their understanding of gravity. Uh, it's the sort of like you have a whole set of rules that govern how electrons and and all their the other fundamental particles all interact with each other and it's usually by the uh the electric field and some other uh some other forces but then there's gravity on the side and it it never really gets worked in you know no one ever considers the gravitational pull between two electrons and and so it doesn't fit well Well, they never listen to that gravity song that you played at the beginning i guess Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember when uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on Joe Rogan and he was just getting super pissed off because Joe kept asking questions about how gravity works that he couldn't answer? <laughs> well, I don't I didn't see that episode. It was good. Um, it sounds about right, though. I mean, one of the things that you run into is after you ask why and this is I didn't come up with this, some famous saying where if you start asking why um, about three or four times, then you end up it ends up that no one knows the answer. Um, so if you ask, why does the apple fall from the tree? Well, okay, you you might be able to explain it's because of gravity. But as soon as you ask why, like two or three more times, no one really knows. And it's uh, yeah, you know, it's fun. It's uh, a fun topic. That's a topic of pure science. You know, that's what you want people researching. So last question about CERN. It does it not have nothing to do with them trying to figure out how the Big Bang happened? No, it does actually. Um, Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. In, in a tangential way, um, one of the things that people have been talking about for a while, and I think from the fifties, I don't actually, I didn't put this in my notes for for when all this started. There was a. Do you know what the origin of the Big Bang uh, theory is? Like, what, uh, it was a Catholic priest that first came up with it. I believe. Well, I. I thought it was a uh, a set of astronomers. Uh, it might have been theorized by someone else before, but the this the evidence that they that shows that the uh, at some point fourteen billion years ago they say that the uh, the universe was a single singularity in somewhere in space and then has expanded from that. Well, it's not explained very often, so maybe I should just stop being evasive and just say it. Um, There's a lot of... uh, The topic is actually astronomy, and back in Hubble's day, like the guy they named the Hubble uh, Hubble telescope after, he came up with 
some different ways of trying to guess how far stars away were. You know, what what's the distance between us and some stars? So if you point at a star, you say, how far away is it? I'd have to shrug my shoulders. I don't know. But they have a bunch of different techniques where they say, oh, well, if it's this kind of star, then we can make some assumption that it's, uh, it's uh, you know, brightness or, or something is I, I don't understand the whole thing they have some some table they go down through and they say oh if it's this kind of star then we're going to estimate it this way and that way and and at the the bottom line is they think they they've they have good measurements of the distance to all these different stars and they also have and and so you can make a 3d map of the universe you know kind of like you'd see in a sci-fi movie where the hologram blows up and fills up the whole room and you can mm-hmm. see all the planets spinning around right it's really based on looking at the uh, the light that's coming from the star. I mean, that's all you really get from it. Maybe you listen to a, you know the radio frequencies that come off from it, but in a sense, that's also light too. So, um, what they also noticed was there's an effect called redshift and blueshift, um, which is explain. <laughs> it's just we'll just call, say it's the Doppler shift. Um, I think there's there's another step to it that's it's so it's not purely a Doppler shift, but the idea is that just like when the ambulance is running towards you down the street and then when it's running away you hear the siren sound seems like it's higher pitched one way and lower pitched the other way and that's because when it's coming towards you the waves are arriving closer together, um, and then when it's uh, going away from you it it sounds lower frequency because they're just stretched out. Um, the same thing happens with light and so um, when they look at the spectral lines of different stars they can find out that oh they're slightly shifted one way than than the other and they find out if the star is moving further away or or closer to us and so they've done that with a bunch of stars they plotted them out and they said oh if these stars are moving well it should be uh it should be simple enough to kind of back project their trajectory and find out where where were they a year ago or where were they ten thousand years ago or and what happens is in that model it looks like at the point sometime around 14, if you go 14 billion years back, they say they all kind of go into one cluster. Um, and all those lines kind of intersect, or at least get close enough that they say it's close enough. And they say, oh, it looks like 14 billion years ago, if all our observations are right, it looks like there's a there's a, a single point that everything emerged from. And that's, when they talk about the Big Bang, that's really the genesis, uh, get it, genesis, of the, hey. uh, the idea of it. It... Of us, you know, from a serious scientific perspective is we've made some observations about the stars. It kind of looks like if we look at where the galaxies and everything that we can see in the sky are, it kind of looks like uh, at some point they were all closer together. And if you go far enough, maybe they were even closer than that. Um, Well, my flat earth friends would say that all the stars in the sky are just as close as the sun and the moon are. And none of them are further away than any of the other ones. Yeah, well, some people, uh, you know, how how long do you spend arguing with them about that? Oh, I just let them rant. <laughs> That's what you do. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I mean, they know I'm not a flat earther, but I'll hear them out. Um, yeah. So according to the Book of Knowledge, Wikipedia, uh, in 1927, the Belgian Catholic priest Georges Lemaitre, I'm probably mispronouncing that, proposed an expanding model for the universe to explain the observed redshifts of spiral nebulae. And calculated the Hubble's law. Oh, yeah, that might have been it. The guy then. He based his work uh, theory on the work of Einstein and yeah, Des Sitter, and independently derived Friedman's equations from an expanding universe. So, 
Yeah, yeah. He based that sounds it on like a the bunch right other, yeah, other stuff. Yeah, it was Hubble's law specifically. Is the first guy that's what he used. Um, there's other there's other techniques they use now. Um, I think you, I don't know. Somewhere there's a there's a tree I saw once where it's it's actually like a um, a flow chart is what it looks like. So there's what kind of star is it? You know, how bright is it? If it's in this class or that class, use this technique and 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 it's set up so that you get the best estimation um, for every possible kind of uh, thing you're looking at in terms of their distance from where you are now. Now, one of the problems is it's, you can't just get a yardstick and measure how far, you know, Alpha Centauri is. We think we know how far it is. And honestly, we probably do have a pretty good idea. Um, now I'm not an astronomer either. So I'm kind of putting my faith in, in, in them doing good work, but, um, it, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to verify. It's hard to, uh, you know, it's not like you could string a rope out and then measure the rope after. Yeah, you're like, taking well, it you know, somebody's somebody word on away. it. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> yeah. taking it at a certain point, unless you're, like, well-versed in the theory, you're taking scientists at their word. Yep. Um, but not, I always was really into the NASA stuff when I was a kid. And, like, even, you know, a handful of years back when it was, like, you know, NASA discovers new planet with that looks like so-and-so and has such in their atmosphere and they'd have pictures of the planet and stuff or like even pictures of galaxies. And then like, I would always assume that that was real. And then like, you know, and then you actually look into it and it's like, no, this is all CGI art or artist representation almost every time. Yeah. It's like never oh, yeah. a real picture. So who knows, man? Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's the market speak thing. If, if you actually plotted scientific data and put it in a, um, put it in an article, no newspaper would run it, you know, no TV show would run it. You that's why yeah. they have, you know, that they stupid COVID ball. Yeah. You know, exactly. with the the colorful uh, COVID virus with the spiky things on it. You know, because it runs well in the news. It doesn't have anything to do with what it really looks like. You know, it's some that, of the that COVID ball looking pendant that the Queen of England wears has always bothered me. <laughs> yeah. Is there a picture of that somewhere? I, I've uh I want to get another look at that one. I remember uh, someone pointing that out a long time ago. Let's see. Would it be a pendant would be that would be the right word? COVID Queen of let's see, let's do a Queen Queen of England's ball. People.com Queen Elizabeth <laughs> coronavirus jewelry. That's on people.com. Oh jeez. Uh oh, well, at least she doesn't have that stupid Stargate uh hat. <laughs> that uh what's her name war at the wedding it's a disaster i don't know i can't one? find it right now yeah yeah uh yeah that was and then there's like bill uh or no Belin not not bill but belinda gates always wears that upside down cross <laughs> oh i didn't know that one what's all that about huh oh well I'm, so, I'm, I'm lost know, in pictures of Queen Elizabeth now. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> I don't care. I, I figured this would be kind of a structured show. And then as, as time went on, uh, you know, through last week, I realized this whole thing's going to be just a cluster. I'm just going to jump in and out of topics whenever I feel like it. So the... Uh, Hit me with know, a let's topic. About, <laughs> let's talk about um, uh, funding. You know, we were talking about CERN. They have to beg for money. Um, the National Science Foundation is... Uh, a way that a lot of uh, projects in the United States are funded. Um, they have, I put it in my notes, actually. I think it was a $9 billion budget this year. It used to be six or, 
or seven, um, maybe a decade ago. And their purview is everything that's not medical science. And so just about anything that you can fit under the blanket, wide blanket of science, the wide umbrella, um, is potentially uh, the NSF's uh, domain. And uh, there was something I wanted to bring. I, I waffled if I was going to bring this in or not, but then I decided to. Uh, there was a guy, uh, Senator Coburn, who did a report uh, in 2011 they got some play on the news about just the different misspendings of uh, of money so the nsf would you know you apply for a grant and then if they think it's uh worth uh spending public funds on then they they give you uh uh some money and then you go do your report and what coburn coburn came out with was a report that said hey look they're spending a bunch of money on uh there's a couple different classes of things he was complaining about one was that they were studying things that he didn't think were important enough to be studied um and he may be right about some of these and the uh the second thing was uh people who accepted grant money and then they didn't file their correct their their final report and everything because when you do the work you have to report you know your your results they weren't reporting the results in time and they were still getting grant money for later projects and uh and just generally bad behavior at the NSF, which included things like uh, Jello wrestling in the uh, the South Pole. I think was the <laughs> the one that made all the headlines. <laughs> wow! They they had uh, they had a bunch of contractors down at the South Pole at some I don't know weather station. Now was that the and one with had, or without penguins? Uh, the with the penguins. Okay. Uh, the wow, North you Pole got me on that is Santa. One. South Pole is penguins. Wow, I'm gonna have to. Let's see. I'm looking this up because now I'm I'm all of a sudden not sure. I should know that. Um, the Southern Hemisphere, yeah, they're in the South Pole. Yeah, okay. North Pole, North Pole, Santa and the Elves, South Pole, penguins and polar bears. That's yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. I don't know why that. I I should know better than that. <laughs> what I don't but, get uh, is how come the South Pole is not a continent, but the North Pole is. Well, the South Pole is a continent. It is. Yeah. There's only Antarctica? wait, there's seven continents, so we got <laughs> Antarctica, which is the North Pole, right? No. Is Antarctica not connected to the North Pole? Uh I think it's on the South Pole. No, you got me jumping on this. Yeah, it's it's the South Pole. <laughs> I, I've looked. I've been looking you're, at. You're boggling map. my mind. I'm j- my looking, circuits are jammed. <laughs> I've been looking at my, the map upside down my whole life. <laughs> no, Antarctica is the South Pole. Okay, but so the then South. The, well, it depends on how you you think of it. So though. the so North, so the North Pole is not a continent. The North Pole is a magnetic South Pole. Uh, <laughs> how about that one? Like, what do you, People, what, do you what do you mean? Well. So, well, let me ask you a question. If you have a compass, yeah. uh, well, let me ask you a question first. There's, here's the preceding question. If I have a north pole of a magnet and a south pole of a magnet, they're attracted to each other, right? Right. And so if I have a compass and I have the north pole of the magnet of the magnetic needle uh, points uh, towards the north pole, the geographic north pole, uh, or we'll say it's the magnetic north pole. What's that tell you about the, uh, the magnetic north pole? It's actually a South Pole because the North Pole of the magnet's attracted to it. And this is, I don't, it's a little fun factoid, but one of the things you find out if you look up like the magnetic field of the Earth, if you try and find images of it, there's people who draw the uh, the field lines on it backwards all the time. It's actually kind of funny. 
Wasn't there this whole thing for a while about how the magnetic field of the Earth, like, flipped or, like, reversed? Um, they think it's been reversing a lot for, uh, I don't know, a long time. I, so they, it's moving. So I just it's, realized why it's called, like, the North and South Pole. <laughs> I'm glad Be- I Like, P-U-L-L, because it pulls the needle of the compass. I always thought it was P-O-L-E. Uh, that is, that's correct, it's P-O-L-E. <laughs> I'm just fucking... I'm just being goofy now. <laughs> I mean, the North Pole, P U L L. Okay. The North Pole. All right. Hey, you. You're North Pulling me along on this one. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, there, so uh, so how do we get on that? I don't know. I derailed us. You want to talk? You want to talk about the geomagnetic field? Sure. I have no idea what the fuck the show's about, and, I, and I'm just <laughs> rambling. This is the vessel for me to uh, to just say bullshit. Uh. So how you been? Got to lay off the weed. <laughs> Pretty good, man. So how, yeah, you I heard you're going on another show later tonight. Oh yeah, that's going to be Did you get canceled from it though? I saw you tweeting <laughs> at those guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was subtweeting. I was tooting, subtweeting cuz they don't uh, have so they're they not on the the Mastodon. Yeah, I know, I'll be on there tonight. Um I wanted to talk about all kinds of things, but they seem to just want to grill me about COVID. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be, uh, I might have to whip, pull something out of my ass before that at eight tonight. Oh boy! Yeah, because they're like pr- super, super pro vaccine, pro mask, pro all that. So I'm gonna, yeah. anyway, that's that's a, I'll, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I might live stream it without telling them, so you can listen in. We'll see. <laughs> well, you're already talking shit behind their back. I guess it doesn't matter now. <laughs> no, they're. I mean, they're good. They're good guys. I've listened to every episode of their show, but they are very much pro. Uh, big pharma, I guess is the word. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so no, let's, they're, talk, let's they're cool. Let's so. talk about big pharma for a second. Then, um, okay. So I told you, NSF is their purview is. And just to be clear, so no one gets the wrong idea, NSF isn't responsible for all science funding in the U.S. There's a bunch of different agencies, including different institutions and military agencies and other kinds of things that also do fund science. Um, NSF is just, you know, the the big name agency that everyone's heard of that, that does a lot of stuff. Um, the, the other institute that does medical research is the NIH, the National Institute of Health, um, and their purview is only medical research. Um, and to give you an idea of their, their funding, the NSF is funded for, let me get my notes so I get that right. I think it was $8 billion. Um, is PubMed um, like a branch or an offshoot of the NIH? PubMed. Well, like where all I'm the peer-reviewed dis- medical journals go? It might be. Um, uh, yes, actually, I, I just pulled it up. Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, I... I'm not an astronomer, and I'm even less a uh, have anything to do with the medical field. Um, so I'm not going to talk directly about the medical field, but I'm going to talk a little bit about some some of the wacky stuff that happens in at the NSF, and then uh, imply that that same kind of stuff happens over at uh, at the NIH. Um, here was um, Coburn. Actually, yeah, fuck, we were going to talk about this. This was the ABC report with Senator Coburn talking about some of the wacky stuff that was going on at the uh, the NSF. Oh yeah, Jello uh, wrestling. This, this that's right. Yeah, um, he he doesn't cover the jello wrestling. I was trying to get a good clip of that 
they brought it up on Neil Cavuto. He had an interview when they were doing the media rounds, and it, Neil Cavuto was kind of an asshat, <laughs> so I didn't even clip him. Is there video of the jello wrestling? That's what I'm interested in. No, there's one or two photographs. Okay. Well, if you want, if you want to hear the jello wrestling story, I'll just tell you that um, there were some contractors blown off steam, and they got some jello, and they might have paid to fly the jello in, you know, as uh, with government funds, and to, for the jello wrestling event. So I don't know. If oh, it wasn't like of, an, they didn't try to play it off like it was an experiment. No, it was just uh, a party. That's not as it, fun. Yeah, they also did a skinny dipping thing, which I don't know got someone's feathers ruffled. They did a like a polar bear plunge kind of thing in the uh, the South Pole. Now, what it, were these all? Was this all men only involved in all this? I don't think so. Okay, just. I don't know. I there's no there's no video yeah, of all the naked was, scientists, so <laughs> I couldn't was, tell I for sure. Judge. All right, yeah. Sorry, go, uh, the senator, senator clip. Yeah, here's the here's the bit on ABC. They're talking about the report. I don't think Coburn talks on this. Though. Check this out: a laundry folding robot. But don't get too excited. It costs one point five million dollars to create. It takes twenty five minutes to fold a single towel. Now this this is much more promising. Researchers figured out how to put shrimp on a treadmill and to get more than $500,000 in the process. Look at them go! It's not clear what the uh, the purpose of the shrimp on the treadmill is at this time. but Now, it, w- would could, it be could... an underwater treadmill? Yes, it is okay. an underwater treadmill with a shrimp walking on it. <laughs> uh, for 500, whatever he said, $500,000. Uh, you can you can hear ABC's slant of what they want you to think about the report uh, by the circus music they have and the boom 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 you know yeah. <laughs> like the wacky stuff going on in the background. Yeah. Um, one of the things that did bug me about the the whole report was, uh, you know, they talked about the laundry folding robot at the beginning, and this is ten years ago. Uh, actually, more than that. This is what almost it's fifteen years ago. Um, where they're poo-pooing the idea that the NSF would fund a robotics um, research group to figure out how to do what's actually a very complex task, which would be to have a robot that can pick up a piece of cloth. And cloth isn't, obviously, it's not rigid, you know, unless it has too much starch in it, and be able to do, fold it. And so that there's all sorts of different integration problems that happen when you try and do something like that. And... If we're not funding it, you know, some other nation is, you know, there's other other interests who are funding, you know, like China's funding all of Boston Dynamics now. It sounds like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what their book looks like with their uh, where their money comes from. But it's it sounds like they're they're uh, getting funding from China these days. Yeah, I was going to say uh, now to develop all these cool robots. Now a robot could easily fold a towel, right? Because I've seen those Boston Boston Dynamics things like the robots you can kick over and they like always like respond um like they can shoot guns robots can now and the ones oh, yeah. they're one that can run faster than like a cheetah some crazy that like, can run like it's like <laughs> yeah. a four-legged robot that can run like 50 miles an hour or something no i haven't i haven't kept up on all of those i remember the dog one the one that uh you know the yellow one with f- the four legs that has the the head with the jaws on it can like open a door oh yeah you know, <laughs> i see all the videos of people one beating the shit out of this thing yeah the way they do you know it's gonna make PETA mad if they see it was it, i think it was actually PETA did unironically tweet about like robot abuse and yeah. tweeted videos of people kicking robots and hitting them with baseball yeah, bats yeah. it's like part of the testing anything to get publicity they're another uh 
they live off their press releases. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to put a bunch of naked girls in cages to get the news cameras on them. <laughs> but the, 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 Where's the that? ABC I haven't report, seen that. Send me that. Oh, they, that's what they used to do all the time. They, they'd have, um, <laughs> well, they'd throw fake blood at people. Um, yeah. if they could, especially celebrities, if they could get close enough and then they'd have like naked girls in cages and they're also saying, responsible for animals. Yeah. killing more, uh, domesticated animals than anyone else. Right. They put down like so many dogs and cats. You know, what they do and what they say they do is not the same thing. Um, yeah. like all of these organizations, um, here is one more bit. And I think this is the one that's going to, going to move us to the, uh, an interesting part of the conversation. This is the second part of this Coburn report on ABC. Um, it, it, listen carefully to this. Uh, tell me what you think about it. You may think Farmville on Facebook is a colossal waste of time. But what if you got a $300,000 grant to study how it helps to build personal relationships? These projects have one thing in common. You paid for them. They're taxpayer-funded grants given by the National Science Foundation, the subject of a scathing new report by Senator Tom Coburn. Uh, so what, tell me what you think about that. What was that, like, swishing noise that sounded like somebody waving a tennis racket around? Uh, oh, that was the, I don't know, that was some bit from the video. Okay. This is ABC, it's all clowned up. Um, the Farmville thing is interesting because I'm assuming that that was not the only thing that that $300,000 study or whatever it said was used for. I'm, ass I'm assuming it was not just about Farmville, but more about uh, like how, um, what they say, mental health nope. of the community. Uh, let, me, let me play it again just so we all get on the same page. Okay. Uh, just... I'm just going to play that same clip again. You may think Farmville on Facebook is a colossal waste of time. But what if you got a $300,000 grant to study how it helps to build personal relationships? These projects have one thing in common. You paid for them. They're taxpayer-funded grants given by the National Science Foundation, the subject of a scathing new report by Senator Tom Coburn. So the key fact, uh, I think, is it... It only studied Farmville on Facebook. It, it's essentially a Facebook market <laughs> research project. Oh, what they I did figured it they, was spin. So, so I think so. They're honest about that. It actually was no, just about Farmville. No, I have the write-up actually in front of me. Oh Michigan God. State researchers were provided uh, three hundred fourteen thousand dollars to study quote the role of social network sites in facilitating collaborative processes. What that actually means is they wanted to answer the question, does Farmville cause you to add people as friends on Facebook? Now, Farmville has a reinforcement kind of I, I've never played Farmville. I've heard Leo Laporte talk about it a lot. So that's my <laughs> that's my experience. Uh, uh, yeah, I just remember when, the South Park episode it. about it. So they have a mechanism in it where if you add friends uh, on Facebook with it, then uh, I don't know, you get some. You know, it, it dispenses a pellet or something. I don't know what it, what it actually does. Um, but they're trying to they're trying to find out is Farmville working? As in, does it cause you to spend more time on Facebook and connect to more people and, and get you sucked into their uh, their hole more and more? It and the the way this study looks like, and I'm I'm reading the summary from Coburn's report. It looks like it should have been funded by Facebook's you know internal. A marketing group because that's really what it is is market research for facebook what happens 
and I'm pretty sure this happens in in the medical field too. But I think what's going on is that they have access, they have connections, they have friends with between the industry and government, you know, uh, through their lobbyists or whatever, and they can get, they can convince the uh, the people giving out the grants. Oh, we need to get an independent university to study this thing, which is even though it only has a narrow application, which is uh, making Facebook uh, more profit. Mm -hmm. They got the the public to fund it. And I can't say that that happens with the NIH. But my suspicion after watching some of the news this year is that the pharmaceutical industry does the same thing. Yeah, not just with vaccines, but with all kinds of stuff. They uh, the taxpayer funds the research taxpayers do yeah and then the, so the patents and all the royalties for the product even though it was funded by taxpayers are gifted to the company and the scientists the royalties and yeah, the patents the taxpayer doesn't get si- any benefit these guys are sitting back and saying how do we get more pills into people which is which is an unethical uh thing to uh, to try and do in the first place i mean now you're, you're just a pill pusher but we we sell pills how do we get more into people uh so we can get more money out of it and they double down not only do they are they doing something unethical uh but they're they're actually using the the public funds to figure out what's the best way to shove more pills down down america's throat yeah it's my that's the way i'm reading this and I think that's what Facebook did with this Farmville study is somehow someone had an in and they uh, they said, oh, we can get them just to, to fund our, our bullshit for us. It's not like Facebook was hard up for cash, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it's just, uh, you know, more money for them. Oh, and man, anyway, with all the money they spend on science, uh, it's it's kind of a shame that it's being stolen basically to to do this kind of bullshit. Um that should be funded by, you know, if Pfizer wants to figure out how to how to convince more people to take their pills, okay, or take their shots or whatever. I mean, okay, they can study that, but why do they need public funds to do that? How long until vaccines are manufactured and produced by Facebook? Ten years? <laughs> well, they tried to do a phone once, and they tried to do a... Uh, they tried cryptocurrency. To do a cryptocurrency runs, yeah. yeah. I don't know about vaccines. Yeah, it's a matter of time. Yeah. You'll like your Facebook uh, 3D printer will print out your antidepressants for you every day. And... <laughs> yeah. And uh, they had a they had another topic uh, that I wanted to jump to at some point, um, which is just about uh, I had some clips that I liked about um, they were from Oklahoma State. And like I said at the beginning, I was having trouble finding any clips that were good. You know, all, all the stuff I really wanted to bring up, I couldn't find succinct explanations of, of what was going on. So I had to scrap a lot. But uh, yeah, no here's a here's a, a doctor um, of chemistry at Oklahoma State. Middle school is also one of those um, times where a lot of attitudes towards the sciences and mathematics changes either they have more positive more negative and a lot of times it's more negative so this is an avenue for us to really bring in and help them to see some more positive aspects of why they should go into math and science and she was talking about getting an nsf grant um to fun part of their part of a middle school program which i suppose took place in oklahoma they didn't really say i presume it does um just to get kids out of 
you know, normal classroom settings and into lab settings where they can get hands on experience with, I don't know, I guess, real uh, whatever, quote unquote, science they actually do. I don't know what what uh, research you actually uh, trust to uh, class of middle schoolers, but uh, that's what they were talking about doing inside this. I don't know about you, but I synthesized my first batch of LSD in sixth grade (laughs) at public school. The. When I heard that clip, it it got me thinking, you know, I think what she says rings true, which is that around middle school, um, there's a lot of people who are just turned off by the idea of doing math and science at all. And obviously I wasn't. I I like to. uh, uh, I even, you know, keep dabbling in it to this day. I'm always trying to find uh, some new thing to muse on. And at the time, it happens to be uh, particle physics, but, you know, who knows what it'll be in, in a year or two. The um, the way that the net effect of all this, when you have CBS doing their story about neon signs where they don't actually say any, they talk about the history of neon signs, but they didn't say any of the interesting details. Um, you have science podcasts that just give you cursory overviews. They don't really tell you anything. They tell you things like um, neon signs are red, you know, is is about all the information you get on how they work. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's also a, there's a perception. Joe Rogan's problem. had some really good uh, science podcasts, but then he has. And I don't mean the ones with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, but <laughs> Sean a Carroll couple guys on there like. Sean Carroll has great. a fun way of talking. Um, now, I'm not smart enough to know whether or not he's colossally full of shit, but he sounds good when he talks. Yeah, I like him when he's on the show. I've heard, uh, at least, I'm trying to think which episodes he did. He did one on quantum physics, right? Yeah, that was probably the one where I was like, this sounds good, but I have no idea how true any of this is because I am so uninformed in terms of anything quantum. Yeah, um, he does a really good job. I, I liked the, uh, I'm talking about Joe Rogan, when he gets people on and they talk details on the show. You know, it's usually, I think that has a, a more positive effect on getting people interested in maybe pursuing a career in science or, or you know, even kids, if they're listening yeah. to Joe Rogan in high school, which some of them do, um, then they might become interested in some of these topics that they, like if you were looking at your school curriculum or if you're looking at the news or YouTube or any other thing that's easy to see in the world around you, the, the view of science and engineering is abysmal. It actually looks like crap. Um, here, let me play some of the, uh, some more, uh, science crap that I got off YouTube. So this is a, uh, uh, I think I just typed in science and I clipped a bunch of random shit. So this was, uh, here, here's a music video of, of a scientist. Working in the lab and I'm thinking about safety. Got goggles drawn in lab coats on. My gloves, they make me safe around chemicals. It's shit like this, or it's the it's the MIT, um, you know, harassing their undergrads by making them dance in a music video instead of doing anything useful. It's it's like an anti-commercial for for pursuing a career in this sort of stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's it's like unintentional reverse psychology, or maybe it is intentional. Yeah. I don't know, it's, but it seems unintentional. Yeah, here's here's one more. This one was uh, publicly like trying, funny. Trying to this, be cool this, and hip so hard that you make it like very uncool and hip to do science. Here, here's a song I found that was about uh, applying for grants um, for uh, research. 
working in the lab is a pretty sweet gig. The people are smart and the toys are really big. But we can't be chill when our homies are ill. So we write a new proposal to create another pill. If you have malaria, we want to take care of And if we succeed, then no one has to bury So we beg for grants, even though it's so demeaning. Because you need a good stash for a high truth screening. We need money for drugs. We ain't no thugs. But it takes more funds to kill more bugs. Okay, that one was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was terrible, personally. It was. That's terrible. Uh, yeah. And so, like I said, it's like it's an anti-commercial. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be this tool? You know, if all you see are like uh, the Shelton, Sheldon guy on TV, uh, whatever that, the Big Bang Theory. Oh, or Jesus. like these sort of loser characters. They First, it's not... It doesn't have anything to do with the reality of working in any of these fields. I mean, what you see is you see a lot of jeans and flannel. <laughs> and yeah. uh, people, they say, oh, I've taken off early. I got my kids at a baseball game. You know, it's like a job. But you also do cool things. There's also so, some fun factor involved, at least in the stuff I do, you know, microwave radio. But, you know, it, it's not visible at all. No one, people don't even know what, for example, engineers do for a living i mean they say oh you know you're like dilbert you work in a stupid office it's you know it's a uh, i don't know how are you going to choose a career if you don't uh, in science or engineering if you don't even have an idea like a true idea of what it is all you see is the uh you know the the facade the fake media bullshit around it you know there was a um another clip i had from oklahoma state of someone talking about that too i think this was uh, Dr. Matahali, he's a he's an Indian guy, so he has an accent, um, but I think it's enough. You can you can understand it pretty well. What the some more surveys have shown the reason why very few students in middle school onwards want to go to engineering is lack of awareness about what engineers really do. What is their role? A couple of weeks ago, there there was a survey that came out. Almost 45% of the middle school kids don't know what engineers do. So maybe if we give them some sense of what engineers do at that age, they probably think of going to engineering. And I think he's spot on with that. Yeah. So I like the way he says do. <laughs> anyway, About that was my do. whole presentation. That's uh, That was my last clip. That's all I got. I thought I I thought you gave good um a good roundabout of like the state of science. That's because that's something I really hadn't thought about until until you just brought that up. Is <clears throat> maybe like part of the reason science, especially in the United States, is it, it reached such a um, such entropy in a lot of ways, is because <laughs> we're not doing a good job at all to make it seem fun. Yeah, it, and. They're trying. Bless their hearts. <laughs> I mean, I have <laughs> they friends know that, what are, doing. Uh, that have, like, security clearance at um, a couple engineers, the people that I went to school or church with. They're my age. They're making good money as engineers at Oak Ridge Labs, um, which is, you know, super... I don't know what exactly what they're doing there, but some of that's, like, deep underground base, like, top secret mm. shit. Secret squirrel. Um, yeah, so you can make you can make some money as an engineer. That's that's for sure. Um, pain in the ass to. I'm assuming like doing what you're doing. It was a pain in the ass to get where you got though. But you, yeah, got, you but you enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I mean, I I was good for some of the classes and some of them I wasn't so hot in, but it, it really turned out if I was interested in it, then I get, did really well. And uh, so math, math and science and, and those kinds of classes, I always, I always uh, did pretty well. Um, I won't say I got straight A's in everything I ever did because that's not true. But, uh, you know, it, part of it is, you're right, you have to have an interest. There's an innate interest in it. And so, for example, what you could do is you could, um, you know, memorize all the different characters in Star Wars and their backstory and try and understand everything there is about, you know, some fictional universe. And, and as a kid, that was appealing. You know, you could get those cutaway books where you can see what's inside an X-Wing and you can get all this um, knowledge about you know, the Star Wars world or whatever, and read all the books about it. And and as a kid, that was always appealing to me because it was like this packaged thing, you know. You could, if you tried, um, learn everything there was was to know about Star Wars. Um, and this was in the 90s, so it wasn't as uh, chaotic as it is right now with all the games and all the other bullshit that's going on, too. We basically had the movies and some books. And uh, at some point... I realized that instead of doing that and basically accumulating useless knowledge, you know, I liked looking at mathematics and science and, and you know, for example, um, electromagnetics. What is electromagnetics? You know, what what is it? Can I understand it? And, in, in, you know, if you go look it up on Wikipedia, you see some <laughs> equations. But if you look at the equation, every single symbol in the equation is some bullshit you've never seen before. Just so you have to that. go and start... You have to start at the first, the first square one, and find out what is this, the first term of the first one of Maxwell's equations. What is it? What's it supposed to mean? And, and by the time you get to the end, you kind of figure. But it's also what I'm trying to get at is it's also a little niche. It's like a little packet of of something that you could go inside and and uh, you know understand and 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 study the same way you could study the way an X-wing is laid out. You know where are the proton torpedoes? Uh, the um, the bottom line is one of those uh, you can get paid to do, and the other one you don't. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. That's I don't, there's some there's some little personal history, I guess. I like it. As soon as you started talking about electromagnetics, my brain immediately went to the insane clown posse. Like fucking magnets, <laughs> how do they work? You know. Fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. Magnets. How do they work? It's genius. <laughs> <laughs> genius yeah that's good stuff uh but no i like I, that juggalo convention you ever see the uh the juggalo uh, conventions like the big music festivals they have yeah well what you need to do is find a good photo journalist who um takes photos at these places and you know who just roams around and they'll some of these guys do they, they'll and girls too i should say all, they do things like they photograph punk concerts and they photograph um you know, all these other things. If you can find someone who does that and go to their webpage, usually they have a portfolio you can pick through and it, it'll have, um, you know, oh, this, uh, I can't remember what they're called. The, the, you know, the ICP convention, uh, you know, the juggalo, uh, yeah, I, I and, should and just know see it. all the wacky pay, all the wacky, uh, I should say wacky. It was like people live in their lives. Well, I'm sure it's a, I'm sure I've been to a, a lot of uh, music festivals with a lot of, uh, tits out, you know, yeah. um, especially Bonner. There's usually like, at night, there'll be a lot of titties out. And I've seen pictures of those Juggalo festivals, man, and it's not any kind of titties I would want to see in person. <laughs> I've been to some raves. A lot of fat, at, uh, sweaty people at those things. I've, I've been to uh, some raves at Red Rocks, um, like the big EDM music nights. I guess yeah. they're not really raves. You know, they're 
pretty it's not like they're in a warehouse somewhere you know but uh, those, those, they got the EDM, laser lights the edm scene is a little wild for me man everybody's rolling it was like everybody's on oh Holly. my god yeah i went there with uh it, it's not exactly my scene one of my one of my friends was uh took me to one of these things he he knew a guy who was who had a dj set and he actually the, my friend had had done some percussion on one of the songs that he was going to play and it, whatever so i ended up there in the audience and he, and he goes he says hey man if someone offers you like a smarties don't take it yeah <laughs> that was his advice at the or VA. do take it if you so, want to have a really good time yeah i think might, i was just it right might make home, edm so sound good you know <laughs> that was fun uh the thing i didn't know about those shows until i went to one is the uh the visuals are really freaking cool um, yeah. For every DJ who came up, they also had a video show behind him. And so there would be the guys mixing his set, which, you know, it's it's more than hitting the play button, right? He's mixing it and he's doing, he's reacting to the crowd. You know, there's, so there's some artistry in that. But then he also had someone doing all the video mixing too. And so he had all the synchronized video that would play up in, in sequence, uh, in sync with the, the audio. It was really cool. Yeah, some of those um, electronic bands have some really awesome... Uh stage shows as far as you have video or just light shows all that yeah and we, we sit here we're just trying to trigger clips on time right these guys are doing whole <laughs> is video that a, shows live is it would that count as engineering like designing or would that be graphic design like creating like um light like um that is art <laughs> it's straight up art but uh, visual art yeah absolutely. but the engineering is creating the tools that um like creating that like who, someone who's who's building a soundboard or a um or a software that lets you build digital art would that be an engineer cuz engineer to me is a broad yeah. term yeah so you know those lights they put up on stage if they're par lights or spotlights if they have a motor inside them then you need to have a servo amplifier that's going to rotate the motor um, and have it start and stop in the right place you need to have all these different mechanisms where I, I, the computer needs to know where it's pointed. So if I tell it to move, uh, you know, if I tell it to point in this direction, you know, it, it can find out if it actually got there or not. Um, so there's power uh, systems that have to be put in. There's microcontrollers that have to be set up and programmed so it can accept commands from, you know, the guy on the keyboard who's, who's um, you know, putting together the, the light show. Yeah. He writes a, like really high-level commands, right? He says, take spotlight A and pan it uh, 20 degrees to the left and 20 degrees down. Yeah, I've actually done that. Um, at this mark, at right? The, um, not, I wasn't the main guy, but I was like the number two guy over the light show at the Smoky Mountain Opry for a little bit in Pigeon yeah. Forge, Tennessee. Yeah, so I mainly just that. ran. I mainly just ran the spotlight and then like certain times just hit buttons on the what the main dude was had already programmed into the system on the yep. <laughs> ran the soundboard and sometimes stuff like that. The, the electrical engineering part of that would be concerned with, you know, when you hit the button, the way that it uh, communicates, you know, the, the light to change from the green LEDs to the blue LEDs, you know, is a, a differential control signal. I think it's RS 485 as usual. If it's DMX light, do you know, if you use the DMX uh, control for your lights, Maybe okay. Um, um, I don't. It's, it's been <laughs> that was back when I was like ooh, that guy. That was like nine years ago when I was doing that. So yeah, it's, I'm not sure. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's been, you know, it's been a while. Setting up those those systems, setting up the controller, so it's like oh, so I have a board that I can push a button and it sends a message out mm -hmm. um, by by 
setting the right voltages on these lines in, in the right order. And then on the other end, I also have, have a piece of equipment that's ready to receive that. And so I see the right uh, voltages on these lines in the right order. And that, that means I flip, you know, to the color blue instead of green, you know, that's the level the engineers usually operate at. And there's not always artistry in that, you know, you've, it's a, it's creative, but it's not the same way as someone who's lighting a scene, you know, it's a, there's, there's creative design problems you have to solve to make these things work, but it's, it's a different kind of, uh, different ty- kind of creativity. Well, it's a good thing that people do things. Otherwise we wouldn't have anything to do or nice things to do them with. Yeah. Well, man, uh, <clears throat> anything else we should, we should hit on before we wrap this puppy up? Now I, uh, I was going to leave an open invitation. Um, if, uh, you wanted to take, well, actually, never mind. Let's just close it up, and, and I'll talk to you after uh, after the show. All right. So, to get so and instead of putting people on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Woo. I'm wearing composite toe Ariat boots. Uh, yeah. I'm wearing uh, Arizona uh, khaki pants. I'm wearing a salty crew T-shirt and a Carhartt hat, buddy. Make sure you check out Rare Encounter. Every Wednesday night live now, right? You're doing it live? Live at 7 Eastern. 7 Eastern every Wednesday with Abel Kirby and Cold Acid. And Absolutely. it's And it's always a fun hang. You guys have a... You guys are good together and you have a good... Um, what you do? You're doing reviews. You're doing... Uh, you do news stories. With, what's any wacky <laughs> stories that have been in the news that week and uh, yeah, your podcast rundown. Uh, yeah, sometimes you have a third uh, co-host, Casey. She comes on as a guest. Um, we've we sometimes do guest spots, uh, not all the time, but sometimes we do. She'll be on to, soon enough this year. Um, we need to get back in touch with her and see when she can come on. The links to find Rare Encounter are going to be in the show notes. And hell yeah, hell yeah! The power of the atom, greatest source of energy man has ever discovered, is now serving in many ways. From atomic submarines and ships to nuclear fuel generation of electric power. Now we're building a much larger atomic electric plant. The plant has reportedly lost control. Uh, Mr. Burns, people are calling this a meltdown. Oh, meltdown. It's one of those annoying buzzwords. We prefer to call it an unrequested vision surplus. Fukushima plant is releasing 770,000 tons of radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean. Nuclear, uh... Reactor. Radiation inside one of its nuclear plants is 1,000 times its normal level. It's not like people are dead there. Nearly 16,000 people lost their lives and more than 2,000 remain missing. Who would have thought a nuclear reactor would be so complicated? I've been on my own for long enough. Maybe you can show me how to love. Maybe I'm going through withdrawals. You don't even have to do too much You can turn me on with just a touch Baby I'm forever Since city's cold and empty No one's around to judge me I can't see clearly when you're gone Oh, oh, I said oh I'm blinded by the lights No, I can't sleep until I feel your touch I'm drowning in the night Oh, we don't like 
this You don't want my trust Cause I can see the sun light up the sky So I hit the road in overdrive Baby Oh The city's cold and empty No one's around to judge me I can't see clearly when you're gone Oh, oh, oh 